0: This is Radio 3, an international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong. A warm welcome to Thursday's Money Talk on Radio 3. This is Peter Lewis with the business and finance headlines for the 16th of February. US retail sales increased by the most in nearly two years in January, the latest sign that the Fed may have to keep raising interest rates. Retail sales unexpectedly jumped 3% last month and 6.4% year on year, as consumers boosted spending on vehicles, furniture, clothing and dining out. It was the biggest increase since March 2021 and way above market forecasts of a 1.8% rise. And it follows a 1.1% drop in December. The People's Bank of China kept its interest rates unchanged at quarter percent on 499 billion yuan of one-year medium-term lending facility loans Wednesday. In a statement, the Chinese central bank said this was to keep the liquidity of the banking system adequate at a reasonable level, adding that this fully met the needs of financial institutions. And Hong Kong's new talent scheme has received over ten thousand eight hundred applications in just two months after its launch. The top talent pass scheme offers successful candidates a two-year visa to live and work in Hong Kong. The scheme was launched on December the twenty-eighth, and it's open to individuals who have earned two and a half million Hong Kong dollars over the past twelve months, and graduates from the world's top one hundred universities with three years' work experience. Labour Minister Chris Sun said about 8,400 applicants had been processed and over 90% of them already approved. About two-thirds of the applicants live on the mainland. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by wealth investment strategist Enzio von Vongfarl and Louisa Fock, China equity strategist at Bank of Singapore. Lawrence Yu, executive director at Civic Exchange, tells us about his organisation's suggestions for a green and sustainable budget next week. And don't forget other ways you can get in contact with us, text 63 93 5925, email moneytalk at rthk.hk, look at our Facebook page, Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3, or send us a tweet at Money Talk Radio 3. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street overnight, US stocks closed slightly higher following one of the strongest retail sales reports in the past 20 years. The S&P 500 ticked up a third of a percent to 4,148. The Dow rebounded more than 250 points from its low of the day to close 39 points or 0.1% higher at 34,128. The NASDAQ Composite rose 0.9% to 12,071 was boosted by shares of Airbnb, which surged over 13% after beating earnings expectations. The Pan-European Stock 600 index closed 0.4% higher. And London's FTSE 100, it broke above the 8,000 point mark for the first time ever before easing a little to close 0.6% higher. It's it's up 5.6% so far in 2023. Hong Kong shares, though, sank to a six week low Wednesday, After data showed U.S. inflation eased again last month but was still hotter than forecast, adding to interest rate concerns, the Hang Seng Index dropped 302 points, or 1.4%, to 20,812. That takes its losses from its recent peak on January 27th to over 8%. The Hang Seng China Enterprises Index tumbled as much as 1.9% in Hong Kong yesterday, taking its losses from the January peak to more than 10% and putting it in correction territory. The tech index fell 1%. The Shanghai Composite, that was down 0.4% at 3280 Oil prices ended the day lower, but closed well off their lows. Brent crude oil is at $85.28 a barrel. Gold tumbled in Asian trading and failed to recover in the US session. It's at $1,837 an ounce. And following the retail sales data, The interest rate sensitive two year Treasury yield rose to its highest level since early November, though it did subsequently reverse some of that move. It ended up one basis point at 4.63 percent. The 10 year Treasury bond yield rose five basis points to 3.8 percent. The US dollar index extended its gains against a basket of currencies to the highest level since early January. The euro is trading just below one dollar and seven cents. The Japanese yen continued its depreciation that it's seen this week and is at 133.89 versus the greenback. Sterling is worth $1.20 and a third cents and 9 Hong Kong dollars and 45 cents. The Chinese yuan is at 6.86 in offshore markets this morning. And Bitcoin that soared almost 9%, it's trading back above $24,000. It's right now at 24,300 looking at asia pacific stock markets as they open uh they seem to be trending to the upside the sx 200 in australia up 0.4 percent in japan where markets have just opened the Nikkei 225 up two thirds of a percent stocks also started trading in south korea the cosby right now up 0.8 percent and when hang- when uh, hong kong stocks get trading in about an hour and a half's time looks like the hang Seng index is going to open about 70 points higher <laughs> Welcome to our regular Thursday morning commentator, wealth investment strategist Enzio von farm Morning, Enzio. Good morning, Peter. And also with us is Louisa Falk, China equity strategist at the Bank of Singapore. Morning to you, Louisa.
1: Morning, Peter.
0: Well, we've had a lot of US data uh, this week pointing to a pretty firm economy. We've had more overnight. US retail sales, they jumped by the most in nearly uh, two years. Maybe the latest sign that the Fed is going to have to keep raising interest rates. They unexpectedly jumped three percent in january and six point four percent year on year consumers splashed out on vehicles furniture clothing and dining out it was the biggest increase since march 2021 and one of the biggest increases in the last 20 years it was way above market forecasts of a 1.8 percent rise and compares to a 1.1 drop in december and if you dig into the data consumer spending at restaurants and bars rose 7.2 percent that's the most since march uh, 2021 core retail sales which excludes automobiles gasoline building materials and food services and relate more with the consumer spending components of gdp were up 1.7 percent um enzio Give us your thoughts, first of all, on what where this fits in with your economic clock, actually, for, for the U.S. Thank you. I think the economic time in America will continue worsening, yes,
2: worsening, to an excess demand for money and to an excess supply of goods. Now, let's just start with the excess supply of goods at this point, because you've just discussed retail sales. What I mean is that the reason that I'm very leery of these very uh, sort of sparkly numbers is because excess savings in America are waning according to Morgan Stanley US households already have spent about one third of their 2.7 trillion in excess, in other words forced savings that resulted because of the pandemic. So I think that that story is going to go to an end soon. Then you have on the monetary side you still have easing, as out as it sounds. You have a negative Fed funds rate of about 1.7 percent. You have a, an inverted yield curve, and you have a market that keeps on thinking they're going to be cutting rates this year. I I just.
0: To have to disagree with that because the economic clock is telling me something very different. Now look, I don't, I don't like taking issue with you because I always come out <laughs> worse when I do no, that. No, no, but no, uh, no. I'm feeling a little bit so argumentative lose, lose. this morning. Good, I'm good. surprised that you say. Uh, the the economic time is worsening in the US because the data doesn't seem to suggest that. I mean, look at this retail sales data. We've had the jobs data, haven't we? The inflation data, uh, the housing market is recovering. If you look at the Atlanta uh, now GDP forecast, which is sort of quite forward looking, it's predicting this quarter over 3% growth um, in, in America. It seems to be pretty strong.
2: I think you're right. It's the the, the loneliness of the long-distance runner, my friend. (laughs) What I mean is that the Fed has not really begun tightening property yet. There was a fabulous article in the FT a couple of days ago where the boss of Guggenheim said that actually the quantitative easing, that the, the, the Fed's funds balance sheet has only re- been reduced by a stonking 5.6% mm. since its peak. And that means that there's still a long way to go. The Fed has to do an awful lot more. I keep on yakking on about 6% Fed funds before I can really get a grip I on this I think you're right, st-
0: The markets are starting to move towards your forecast of, of 6%. Because if you look at the Fed funds futures markets, which shows where traders... Expect the terminal interest rate oh. in this hike, hiking cycle. Um, it's now um, at around 5.3%. Before the inflation yes. data came out, it was at 5.1. So it's heading in your direction. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Louisa, tell us what what you think about this one, and in particular, what it means. Obviously, what people are interested in here is what does it mean for interest rates.
1: I think the market. Uh, you have rightly pointed out. Um, we at Bank of Singapore forecast like another two twenty-five bips rate hike in the next two coming FOMC meeting. However, as you rightly point out, that the Fed fund futures market is starting to pricing in uh, around fifty percent probability of another rate hike in the third um, FOMC meeting. So, I.e., we are still of the view that the rates are here to stay higher for longer but i think the market has yet to price in the potential upside risk if that's uh, actually Absolutely. come by. So uh, we have been taking a more defensive stance uh, in the overall asset allocations. Yes. Uh, we think like the rally that we have since, especially in the U.S. market, uh, probably have yet to price in a potential upside risk in interest rate high. Having said that, uh, given uh, all the others, we are more constructive on Asia Pacific, especially in China.
0: Okay, yes. I'm going to get into, get into more some of those forecasts in a moment. But compare for me, I don't know if this is a smart thing to do or not, but compare for me consumers in the U.S. and consumers in China. Consumers in the U.S., if you look at this data, they seem to be in pretty decent shape, don't they? And when, and when people are comfortable in particular about their job situation, it tends to translate into consumer spending, higher cons- consumer spending. This seems to me to be the opposite to situations of what's going on in China where people aren't comfortable mm. with their job outlook and the consumer just doesn't seem to want to spend, despite the government actually urging them to go and do so.
1: Um, I think that's what's what we say the historical data or the reported data is a lagging indicator per se. Um, what I would like to point out is like two things. First of all, when we talk about the excess savings, like Anzio mentioned for the US consumer, uh, in Chinese household they also have built out uh, quite a bit of household deposits uh, mm. during the pandemic. Like for instance, in last year, 2022, new household deposits amount to 17 trillion um, That's a substantial increase, representing year-on-year increase. Uh, but why this substantial household deposit has yet to massively released into like the spending pattern that? For instance, like what we've seen in the US, um, I think it's the lagging indicator that uh, we talked about. For instance, the central bank, the PBOC Consumer Sentiment Index is still on the downturn Mm -hmm. as of fourth quarter last year. Uh, The unemployment rate is still uh, relatively high at about 5%, uh, substantially higher for the younger generation, i.e. 16 to 24 years, which is still above 10%. However, uh, like what I've mentioned, these are Lacking indicator. The good thing is that, for instance, like the unemployment rate, it has been peaking. Uh, it has been decelerating for several months. And I think uh, the next things to watch about is uh, we are going to have the two sessions pretty soon, uh, which is scheduled to commence on 5th of March. Uh, it has been uh, clearly... Uh, mentioning that, uh, consumption or boosting consumption will be one of the key drivers, uh, from a policy perspective. And that is, uh, something to watch out for. So, um, I do believe that as and when, um, further deceleration in unemployment rate and also when consumer sentiment, uh, turns positive or, or, or making a U-turn, uh, these, uh, build up of Excessive or, or new household deposits will be uh, gradually unleashed. In fact, during the Chinese New Year, we have seen some of the consumer discretionary categories um, has staged a very impressive uh, year-on-year increase already. Yeah.
0: And so, what do you think about the Chinese consumer?
2: I think that it's with the Chinese consumer, it's a bumpy ride on the way up, as Louisa said. Just like the U.S. monetary policies are on a bumpy way. On the way down, and what I mean by that is, we put out a piece at the end of the month, of at the end of January, about China not being Lazarus, that biblical character who wakes up after having been dead and sort of just sort of springs to life, a bit like Popeye. Well, that's not going to happen here because the economy's been on its back for three years, so it takes time to get the whole machine oiled and running again. And I think that's part of the story. But I. Am, and I also would say that given that consumption is run by women, in my definition, who says let's go shopping and so many of the women, not the guys, um, and I think that the Chinese women will be probably very cautious about spending an awful lot of money where there are still a lot of youthful un- youth unemployed, as Louisa was pointing out, and still an awful lot of rural unemployed people. So I, do- I think that they may want to push at a national level the consumption, but what happens at a local level, that may be a very different
0: story in China. Only women spend money. You obviously haven't met many gay guys, have you? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Let me ask you a little bit about this pool of savings that Chinese consumers have, or certainly older ones anyway. Isn't one of the reasons they don't want to they don't want to spend it is because they're actually paying down their mortgages? That seems to be one of their priorities at the moment. And in fact, a lot of these loans that are that banks. Uh, are making and extending to consumers, they're using that as well uh, to pay down their mortgages rather than spend, even though they're not supposed to. Is that, is that one of the reasons why we're not seeing this pick up in consumer spending?
1: Um, I believe it's a combination of both. Uh, mortgage servicing or repayment is one of those, but the other thing is, if you look at uh, Chinese household, um, they, they they are keen to invest. But if you look at the investment market, not in Ch- not only in China, but. Uh, uh, probably around the globe um uh, more specifically on china equities market uh, wealth management products that's being offered by the financial institutions uh, up in the mainland china uh, bond market is is not something that retail investor has been actively participating in China. So there's actually a relatively limited options for them to, to spend, put it this way. Uh, mm. Housing market, we all know what happened over the past few years. So um, I would say these pool of savings partly is coming from the pandemic lockdown and also from like investment options that uh, has been really welcomed by mainland Chinese investor has, uh, has had their own limitations over the past. Last
0: year. Mm. So, NGO, in your um, economic clock, where do you
2: put China? China is going to be improving to an excess supply of money. The the money the money supply figures are picking up rather nicely, and a muted excess demand for goods. And that, that, that's why it's not. It's a better story than America. So we're also like Louisa, overweight China, underweight U.S. Um, But again, caution is urged on the real side of the Chinese economy, some pick up in in, in consumer spending, and on the monetary side in the U.S. where they have further tightening to go, on a quantitative side, quantitative tightening, and also on the price of money, further Fed funds
0: hikes. Okay, Louisa, your turn. Let's uh, finish with your outlook on the markets. Hong Kong stocks, they're at a six-week low. They're off, what, 7% now, uh, 8% since the end of January. We've got rising bond yields now um, as as people uh, adjust their expectations for Fed rate hikes and the dollars uh, surging once again. So what does this mean for particularly um, Chinese equities?
1: Um, I think, in the near term uh, we 're probably in entering a period of what we so call policy vacuum because um, the market uh, rallied and now it 's getting into the two sessions and more importantly the result season. so basically, we expect that will be a reality check versus um, valuations and against the earnings expectation, and we do expect that uh, throughout the whole year i e in a more medium term. Uh, it will be earnings-driven. Well, consensus is forecasting um, earnings, corporate earnings, to be about 13%, 14%. That's uh, representing a pretty impressive uh, increase. And I think this is exactly what it's going to drive. Um, so in the near term, we expect the market to move sideways. Um, there are still a lot of volatilities, for instance, like what we have mentioned, potential upside risk. Uh, in the U.S. Uh, uh, interest rate, uh, uh, U.S.-China geopolitics. Having said that, uh, it is reported that there will be a chance for the uh, uh, U.S. Secretary Belenke and Mr. Wang Yi from China have a chance potentially to meet at a, a Munich conference. Hmm. Um, that should smooth market sentiment, but uh, fundamentally we are positive on China simply because okay. of growth acceleration thank you
0: okay well thank you very much louisa that's uh, louisa fock who's china equity strategist at the bank of singapore and our regular thursday morning commentator wealth investment strategist nz von on file thank you talk on Radio 3. times 822 on the phone is lawrence you who is executive director at civic exchange morning lawrence Good morning, Peter. Now, look, last year, um, you gave a set of budget proposals to Financial Secretary Paul Chad, focusing on action needed to combat climate change, and you've done the same again for, for next week's budget. But let me ask you, just about last year, were any of those proposals taken up? Were you pleased or disappointed with the response?
3: Actually, last year's response was... Uh, I'm so I'm pleased um, on the last year's response. Because last year, uh, actually, um, the finance secretary really like focused on the, um, think about how to electrify um, the public, the private, um, the transportation and then also like um, to propose like 2400 billion in the next 15 to 20 years to support mitigation and adaptation measures for combating the climate change.
0: So how will that, that you say, $240 billion uh, in the next 15 to 20 years, how is that going to be spent?
3: Um, actually, in the previous um, budget, um, Paul Chang hasn't really articulated how the, um, the government will spend it, so that I, this year um, the focus um, point of civil exchange submission included one last session to hope the government really can provide a clarity on um, to the public how mm-hmm. the government will plan to spend this 240 billion budget in the next 15 to 20 years, because um, the breakdown is will be very important. Even the government cannot really provide a long-term breakdown, but also they can like to think about how to allocate certain amount for the next two to three years to Mm. offer public uh, understanding like how to really make good use of the public money.
0: Okay. Now, look, what what does this mean for Hong Kong's economy? If we're going to try and achieve net zero emissions, that is going to have an impact on the economy, isn't it? Both some positives, some negatives. Tell me about those impacts.
3: Okay, so that if we... Achieve the carbon neutrality. I think that um, actually is not uh, very lot a cheap. Uh, actually, it costs us a lot of money. Mm-hmm. The transition is expensive. For example, is like we the whole society need to bear the externality of the carbon, such as like the electricity costs will definitely be further increase because we need to invest on new assets such as the infrastructure to connect Hong Kong and the GBA to building cleaner energy to Hong Kong. Or secondly, you can also think about is like we need also to build local reliable energy infrastructure to reduce um, the energy our electricity carbon emission mm-hmm. but it will also create a significant um, opportunity for Hong Kong for example is like in long term we can make our electricity tariff more stable because one we put in the cap base and then the energy price is no longer really affect like the it's international affair like the energy price the global energy price or the regional conflict like what happened now in the Ukrainian
0: I should imagine that one of the beneficiaries of this would be the financial services sector in particular in, in terms of making Hong Kong a hub for, for green bond issuance. We could also maybe join in with China's uh, national carbon trading scheme uh, that that's uh, uh, that started and, and maybe have a market in carbon credits here.
3: Um, of course, because currently it's like the European Union recently um, they under the... The ENVI under the European Union has just passed the carbon border adjustment mechanism, CBAT. And that also will make a dilemma to push China to further um, think about, operate, uh, extend the existing carbon trading scheme to other sectors. Mm-hmm. So that, however, Hong Kong can be like a bridge to really bridge the, some really good. Um, CCE from China to the world, and then also Hong Kong can be like the third party to make it, um, to increase the credibility and then the transparency of the CCL to promote itself to the world because now the CCL price is quite low, but once Hong Kong can be um, the third party to really help the CCE get mm-hmm. come out to the world, it will really help the world or China, um, to further um, speed up the decarbonisation. At mm-hmm. the meantime, Hong Kong, the finance sector, also can participate in the just, just Energy Transition Partnership because the financial sector is one of the most economic, important sector of Hong Kong. Like in year 2020, mm-hmm. 23.4% of GDP, and then it provides oh. more than 276 Thousand in Hong mm-hmm. Kong, yes. but the pandemic is weakened Hong Kong economy. If Hong Kong can oh. really work the JETP, that may also boost Hong Kong financial sector and aid regional decarbonisation.
0: Okay, Lawrence. Well, sadly, we've run out of time, but thank you for telling me about those proposals for the budget uh, next week. That's Lawrence Yu, who is Executive Director of Civic Exchange. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And in the markets right now, in Australia, the SX200 is down uh, up, sorry, half a percent. Nikkei 225 up two-thirds of a percent. The Cosby now moving further ahead in South Korea up 1.2 percent. And looks like the Hang Seng is going to open about 90 to 100 points higher later on this morning. Before I go, I have some personal news for you. RTHK is going to be making some changes to Money Talk from the end of this month. And that will include extending it to one hour. Also going to have a roster of different presenters, a different host for each day of the week. So this is a good time for me to bow out. And I'm going to be leaving the show at the end of this month, my final show will be next Friday, the 24th of February. But look, it's fine. I've never taken this work for granted and presenting Money Talk over the past eight years has been an honour and a joy and one of the best things I've done in my life. So I leave with no regrets. And it's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege to have had the opportunity to bring you Money Talk each weekday morning. And I'm very grateful to you, for tuning in i hope we've been able to bring you an appreciation of business economic and financial issues that affect hong kong and mainland china in an educational informative and hopefully entertaining way i'm still going to be around i'm still going to be active in broadcasting and media i'm going to be working on some exciting new projects which we'll hear about in due course in the meantime money talk continues in its current format until the end of next week I'll be here tomorrow and each weekday morning until next Friday with the latest business and finance news here on Radio 3. Coming up after the news is Back Chat with Janice Wong and Danny Gittings. The weather forecast for today, mainly fine and dry, cool in the morning. The maximum temperature is going to be around 20 degrees during the day and then mainly fine tomorrow, still cool in the morning, but the temperatures will rise over the weekend. Temperature right now is 15 degrees, 59%
4: relative humidity. Times 8.31, here's Barry O'Rourke with the half-hour news. Lawmaker Bill Tang from the Federation of Trade Unions says he hopes the government will ensure local workers aren't negatively affected by its talent schemes. He was commenting after a Legislative Council ante-chamber meeting with government officials yesterday, where Secretary for Labour Chris Sun said Hong Kong's top talent scheme had received over 10,000 applications, with over 70% being approved. Some unionist lawmakers urged the government to be cautious about importing workers, including Mr Tang.
1: Trade union is very wary that if the government and the society and the employer just want to import many and many labour employees overseas or from Greater Bay Area, it's too easy. The, the employer will not consider to improve local employees' salary or other conditions.
4: A court in the United States has sentenced a white teenager to life in prison without parole for killing 10 people at a supermarket in Buffalo, New York State, last May. At the sentencing, angry relatives of the victims confronted the teenager, Peyton Gendron, with one man charging towards him. In November, he'd pleaded guilty to 25 counts, including first-degree murder. Judge Susan Agan told Gendron he would receive no clemency as a youth offender.
2: Given the manner in which you methodically planned, researched, conducted recognizance, and executed your hateful crimes, a finding of youthful offender status is not appropriate. There has was nothing hasty or thoughtless about your conduct. There are no mitigating factors to be considered. You will be sentenced as an adult on the remaining counts.
4: The former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, has outlined her main schemes and themes to win the Republican nomination for the presidency at her first campaign event. She told cheering crowds in South Carolina that the economy, education, immigration and tackling crime were among her priorities.
1: Right now in the greatest country in human history, we have too many small businesses who can't afford rent and too many big businesses getting taxpayer bailouts. We have too much crime on our streets, too many drugs flooding our cities, and too few police and border patrol.
4: Building work that severed a fibre-optic cable has been blamed for a major computer failure at the German airline Lufthansa. Thousands of passengers have had their flights cancelled or delayed. Lufthansa said a digger on a new railway line mistakenly cut the cable in Frankfurt, which is home to the airline's European headquarters. And finally, the U.S. actress Raquel Welch has died at the age of 82 following a short illness. She became an international sex symbol after appearing in the 1966 film One Million Years B.C. The Golden Globe winner starred in over 30 films, including Fantastic Voyage and The Three Musketeers, as well as in dozens of television series during her five-decade career. We'll have more news on the hour from RTHK.
1: Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Janice Wong and your guest presenter is Danny Gittings. On today's program, we're talking about the changing landscape of the media industry in Hong Kong
4: iCable is giving up its pay TV license in June, six years early, citing tough competition and a difficult business environment. It will instead focus on free-to-air television, leaving Now TV as Hong Kong's only major remaining pay TV operator.
1: The government, meanwhile, says it respects the company's decision, and Commerce Minister al Yao says this was purely a commercial
4: decision. So what does iCable's withdrawal from the pay TV market say about the industry? Is pay TV becoming a thing of the past? And what do broadcasters need to do to survive and
1: grow after 9:15, we'll look ahead to taiwan reopening its doors to travelers